Hello, everybody. Welcome on the Lights on Data show. Today, we're going to tackle the topic of how to create a dashboard wireframe. And to do so, we have Nick Kelly, who's the principal consultant and trainer at GNK Consulting. I should have had more coffee before I started the show. My apologies. Nick is a leader in analytics adoption, having designed and developed dashboards for some of the world's largest companies, from global banks to Formula One teams. I don't know if you can speak about that, but that's fascinating. And Nick is definitely a frequent speaker at international conferences. He's trained thousands of professionals in data visualization and analytics adoption. And he's the inventor of the dashboard wireframe kit. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this a little bit more as well. Nick, how are you? I'm great, George. Thanks for the uh, the introduction. And I, I'm a big fan of your coffee posts every Saturday morning. <laughs> Uh, love the love the designs you have in your coffee, and uh, I'm I'm a big fan. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great. The pleasure is all mine. And yes, the coffee thing. It's sometimes hard to try and always think of a relationship between coffees and data. But let's see how many more I'll have in me. You pull it yeah. off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So dashboard wireframing. It's one of the first things that people in behind data analytics, data science, anybody that's creating that dashboard they should do, it's not always done for whatever reasons. So what is the purpose of creating that dashboard wireframe? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, George. And like when I started my career in analytics, it was something I really didn't think of. My background, I'd come in from user experience and user interface design. And it's very normal in that space. It's just, hey, you're building software. You're, or even you're building a website. It's like, you have to wireframe. It's like, mm -hmm. it's a mm -hmm. foregone conclusion. And, but when I came into the analytics space, it wasn't there at all. It's not a thing. Like you're, you have to build your data models. You have to work on data quality to do all of these important things. And they're super important. But the, for me, there was like, I would observe no one was doing wireframing. So I felt like a, like a fish out of water. So when I started doing that, the reason I started doing that, firstly, my background, I'm comfortable doing it. But the second thing is what I noticed was people's dashboards were quite disconnected from business value. It's like a fairly big gap from, we, we've all heard this term, the so what, or where's the impact? And that was really just because we weren't talking to people. To answer your question, why wireframing? Wireframing is an opportunity for us to talk to people, and particularly the stakeholders and the end consumers of the dashboard we're going to build. So ultimately it is to give people a voice, to make their opinions and their perspectives being heard as well as they might already have lots of great ideas for the dashboard that we're building. So wireframing is that opportunity to engage with people and to gather requirements in a kind of light and easy way for us to make sure that we're going to build something that's actually going to be used down the road. And it's way cheaper than building the actual thing and then finding out, oh, that's not what they're needing. We need to redo it over again. So, so true. So yeah, true. It, it, like, it's like, a good like, prototype. That, that point, George, it is, it cannot be overemphasized that if we're paying all these expensive data people and they end up building something that doesn't hit the target, we've just spent all that time, like you're saying, building a dashboard that's not being used. So design time way cheaper than yeah. development time. So we should yeah. at least put a little bit of effort into design time and a wireframe is a, a, an effective light way of doing that. I, yeah, I agree. And it also reduces some of that frustration and sets the expectations in the end. 
So what would you say are some of the challenges that you've noticed with the BI teams, with the data analytics teams and putting one together? One one thing I found early in my analyst career as well was I had the opportunity to work with a group of data scientists. And I was like wide-eyed, just freshly coming out of having had a good career in user interface design and user experience. And so I was really excited to work with a, a you know, real cutting edge, smart people in data. And what I found was super smart, like super smart bunch of data scientists. But that smartness didn't carry over into, can we just talk to people? Because the smartness was, you know what? We know what people need. We know what they want. And so early on for me, one of those challenges was, how do we even just get in front of people, the people that we're designing things for? Because there was such a barrier there with the existing mindset in, no, you don't need to talk to them. We know what they need. Like we have perfect clarity and understanding of what they need. And often than not, it wasn't the case. Sometimes people got lucky. Sometimes people knew what the end users wanted. But that's been one of the big challenges, George, is just that dealing with really smart people and making sure that we can get in front of who we need to get in front of. And other barriers often we're working with a BI manager are some more senior folks and they need to build a dashboard. They may speak for the end users. So it's a similar challenge. And it may say, look, we know what they need. We've got no time. We just need to build this thing. And so the sort of reactive mode is another challenge, another barrier where they just have to get something out really fast. And that's another reason why wireframing works. Mm. That is, it's not a barrier to doing that. It's an accelerator to doing that. Sure, you want to get something out fast, but you also want to get it out as right as you can and reduce as much risk as you can. And wireframing, the reason why it works in software, it's fast, it's quick and dirty. And it allows you to get over some of these risks and issues sooner. Now, wireframing necessarily in and of itself isn't going to always give you comprehensive requirements because you need to do other things. But in lieu of doing comprehensive requirements, you could just do wireframing to take away a bunch of the risk. But what those barriers are, can we just do wireframing and can we get in front of the end users uh, to, to work with them to design the wireframe? Absolutely. One of the things that I've noticed in working with, with those teams and being in between at times is one is who is doing it and how they're doing that wireframe. Are they using a software? And sometimes they can be cumbersome and like some were even using PowerPoint or Visio and the drag and drop. And sure, it can simplify certain things, but to change things after the fact, it's not so easy and it does take quite a bit of time. And then some others would just draw either on a whiteboard in the boardroom and would draw it. And that works fine too. But there's a couple of issues with that. One is, well, it changes again. You erase it. You got to put it up again. You take a photo afterwards. Now we also have the digital format where you have the digital pen and you draw on a smart board. And, but it's a similar thing. But the thing is, it's one-sided. So it's one person that's really controlling the narrative and taking notes of, from the audience. Okay, that's what you want. All right. There's no... There's not as much audience participation in the creation of that dashboard. Right. Where with a more tactile one, I feel that everybody can have their hands in literally into that creation of the wireframe. Yeah. It, the tactile piece is, is such an important element. Like when I started in consulting, I started in my analytics career in Deloitte Analytics. And I had the very good fortune to, by virtue of working in that organization, getting in front of a lot of senior stakeholders with the specific task of 
designing dashboards that make impact in their organization. And the way we would do that is in a workshop setting. So we'd have a bunch of executives come in. So there's lots of whiteboards, beautiful space, big space, custom designed for interacting with people. And then these really big, amazing touchscreens. And I found myself, George, gravitating towards using virtual sticky notes on these boards <laughs> when there was perfectly good whiteboard space and real <laughs> sticky notes at my disposal. And so I was very like, I want to use tech because it's the cool thing to do. And what I would notice is there'd always be a group of people folded arms, like in maybe in the corner of the room, just not really engaged. And I kicking and screaming, I was brought along this journey. Like you could use the low tech approach. It works. It just works. It's not that exciting, but it works. And I ended up starting just using whiteboards, sticky notes, getting people way more engaged that way because no one's getting at having a technical barrier with a sticky note. Right. The, the barrier is not there. And right. I, I just took that concept basically and looked at the world of board games. And it's like, okay, every, everyone can get around a board game. And, and as long as the rules are simple and we can take the benefits of the sticky notes as it relates to data and analytics to reduce the technical barrier, bring those things together. And that was the inception of the wireframe kit is just, yeah, like you're saying, tactile. The chart cards, like actual charts for cards and a board that you can mm -hmm. arrange the cards on. And so it just made it that much easier for people to engage. But the other point you made there, which is how do you edit and change? Let's say you decide, okay, we don't want to use a bar chart to answer right. this question. How many people have been leaving our organization by department over the last year? That's okay. We can use a bar chart for that. But what if we decide to change that? It's also the reason why we put it in a PowerPoint form as well. The key thing for us is making wireframing accessible to most people. And so the tactical version is accessible to everyone. But then some folks do want to make changes, like you're saying. And then most people can edit in PowerPoint. But there's, there's other great tools out there like Miro, Mural, where they're really good wireframing tools. My, my own favorite has been Adobe Illustrator. Mm. I grew up in the Adobe suite. And then they since have Adobe XD. And they're all brilliant tools for wireframing. But then the technical barrier goes up, right? Like how many people know Illustrator? So we really try and focus on the lowest common denominator for accessibility for just reducing that technical barrier as much as we could. Right. And you've definitely done this with, with your kit here. You basically have a board that you can even write on, right? Everybody can see somewhat. And, uh, and then you have all these different filters, KPIs that you can just tag on it and then use a marker, put in your notes, put in your comments, make modifications easily. It's tactile. Everybody can put in their thoughts in, switch things around. It's simple. And the, like the, the thing for us was like just being able to, even without using the boards, just like using cards for the charts, like just hey, would this work for you? Because what we found was, I, and you've probably noticed this as well, George, Like, for, but for me, like, my focus has been pretty singular on dashboards over the years. Whether it's, not, whether it's designing dashboards or getting adoption of mm -hmm. design on the front end, adoption on the back end, it is making sure people are involved, just getting mm -hmm. them involved in the process. And a big learning for me from data visualization was I consumed all the best practices it was like everything is okay. Never use pie charts and always minimize the amount of current and ink and they're great best practices. But what I found was people have user preferences. 
I want I once had a client and I write about this in my book where he's he just loves pie charts. Loves pie charts. Yep. Wants everything a pie chart. Yeah. And I was told, Nick, put pie charts in there. And I was like, no, that's not a best practice. So I made a beautiful best practice dashboard and gave it to this end user who was a senior executive. And like, not using it. We'll never use it. Put in my pie charts. So yeah. what it made what it forced me to look at was okay, what's more important? right? Data visualization best practice are adoption. And it has to be adoption. You can get to your best practice over time, right? We can get those pie charts into maybe a more optimal visualization. Maybe not. Because if the visualization is a barrier to adoption, we should always take user preference. And so what I found was if I can just quickly use these cards or whatever way of visualizing to get feedback from people before we do any build, we can capture those things, right? And say, oh, you love pie charts? Did you know, here's some other options. But if you really want pie charts, we can do that. Mm -hmm. We can do that in the first iteration because we want to minimize friction. We want to minimize risk beforehand. And if it means I'm putting in pie charts, but I'm getting high adoption, hey, I'm good. Mm -hmm. I'm good. Maybe iteration three, we're going to get some more best practices in there. But our primary focus should be that. So the more we can engage people, in terms that they can easily relate with. So showing cards, sketches on a whiteboard, on a sticky note is a, a an easy way to get people on board. And they can get involved too, right? So they can come up with their own ideas and we can bounce ideas off each other really quick without having to build them in the dashboard first. Oh, definitely. As Kate Strashing is mentioning here too, user adoption trumps all else. Love Absolutely. It. I love it. I, yeah, sorry, George. It's just, it is the number one metric for dashboards, like the number one metric. One of the hardest things to do is like, whenever I'm working with clients, first thing I ask is, what are we measuring? What are mm -hmm. we actually trying to do? And mm -hmm. I would love to hear, hey, we're trying to reduce attrition by 5% in the next year. We want to increase sales by 2% in the next month. I'd love to hear that. Almost never hear it because people are just not attuned to thinking like that. And what we have to do here is in lieu of that, get people thinking about adoption. Okay, you're building a dashboard. Great. We want good measurable metrics in here. However, if we don't have it, let's measure adoption. We should measure adoption anyway, like regardless, we should be measuring adoption. But let's say we have 100 end users who should be consuming our dashboard once it's built. And we'll say, okay, look, what's a realistic rate of adoption? 20%. Who knows? Depends on the organization, right? But let's start that as a baseline. And Kate was saying it trumps everything else. It has to be the key focus because we could build a hugely impactful dashboard, best KPIs, best charts in the world. But if we're not getting people using it, no one's looking at it. What's the point? No point. No <laughs> point doing it. So a way to drive adoption is just take out, uh, take from the change management playbook, right? It's take from the marketing playbook. If you want something, someone to buy a product, and let's say our dashboard is a product because people are going to use it, we have to engage them as much as we possibly can before that product's released. And, and wireframing is one of those ways. It is a way to be able to get engagement and to get mm -hmm. that touch point with them so that they feel like they've been involved. So they're prepared for the change. They know something's coming. And even better than that, they've had agency in being involved in that. So they're getting that opportunity. I love that point, like just adoption. Yeah, beats all else. <laughs> this makes me think of something else. And the fact, another benefit I think of having that wireframe done before the dashboard, 
is I think if once you do the dashboard and people, the end user, are looking at it, they're going to pay close attention to that data and how it's being visualized and not really care about all the different graphs that you have to be put in place, maybe even all the different KPIs that you've decided on. They're, they're really folks like, oh, why is there an outlier in there? Let's look deeper into that. And no, that's not good, but okay, let's clarify what is the purpose of the dashboard first. Let's decide what are the metrics that we want to track. And I think the wireframe piece really helps us with that, get that buy-in from the end user, and then we can go in to develop it. All is done. They've clarified it. We know what the objectives are, and then we can look into the data and everything else. I love it. Like once you, when I was originally designing the kit, it was, okay, how do we keep it simple, mm -hmm. but also stay away from chart junk and focus on value. So it's a lot to add. It's a lot mm -hmm. to add. So if we keep it really simple, what can we do? So ju just taking this example, line chart, but on the back of the card, there's basically two things. And there's two things to do here. There's one is what question are we answering? And what action is it going to, what action are actions is it going to drive? And I don't put a chart on a dashboard if it doesn't have those two things. So now you could ask a lot more, right? There's a lot more things you could put in and try and determine what it is. But after doing this for years, it was like, okay, these are the two things that we just basically need to be able to answer. That's going to help get our stakeholders on board. So help slightly educate them. Hey, it's the best practice to figure out what actions this is driving. And then when you start asking what actions is it driving, well, what's it driving to? So what goals is it driving towards? So that every chart on our dashboard, every KPI on our dashboard is aligned to a set of actions that if we take those actions under certain circumstances, it's going to bring us closer to the goals that we're trying to direct towards. And that's why one reason it's good to have adoption as a goal should always be there. But we also want the goals of the business so that we know what actions we need to come up with so that people, when they look at the interface, when they look at the dashboard, they go, okay, I can see this is going on. And I know in these circumstances, these are the actions I need to take. And because we've designed appropriately, those actions are aligned to the goals. So it is basically a vehicle for change. Right. So if we distill what a dashboard is, it's changed towards a set of goals that right. we've defined at the inception. So it's just so important to get that stuff right at the start. And if I can't get in front of stakeholders at the start, even before I get into wireframing, forget wireframing. If we don't have alignment with stakeholders, mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. it's just high risk, it's just so high risk to produce something that's going to be valuable. And I just want to go back to another point you made there, George, along those lines, which was the how do we start our journey? Like we could start it by looking at what data is available. And in, in some cases, it's a very, that's a very viable approach. The wireframing approach and the approach I tend to advocate for is establishing value first, right? So forget about our data. It could be a terrible mess. It mightn't exist, right? But let's park that for the moment. And let's start with what does the business need to drive value? to increase revenue, to reduce attrition, whatever we're going after. What does it need? First, we talk to people along the way. We figure out what questions and actions are needed in order to get to those goals. And then we look at our data and say, you know what? We want to answer 50 questions with our data. But right now, we can only answer three. And that's terrible. But let's put a roadmap together. And one of the one of the points you made earlier, right? So wireframe allows us to do this stuff really quick. We can wireframe iteration one, which is going to be 
pretty scarce looking. Mm -hmm. it might just be one tab on our dashboard that's just got the data we have available. But we could wireframe also iterations two, three, five, ten, right? And ten is maybe where we want to get to. Ten is answering all the questions, and that might come in two years' time. Whatever, I don't know. Very arbitrary, right? But we can present a visual path and a visual journey so that our stakeholders will go, version one is terrible. This has got like nothing we want. We don't want to be there. What we want is to paint the picture for them well in advance. We hear you. You want to answer these 50 questions. However, to get there, it's a journey. It's going to take time. We're going to work together to prioritize what goes into each version with the reality of what's going on with the data behind it. So the wireframing is a way for us to do that as well, to get people on board, to deal with some of the, we don't want to be saying no, like all the time. Hey, you want to answer those 50 questions? No, you can't. <laughs> Your data is terrible. We don't want to be there. We want to say yes, but. Yes, but we're going to start here. In three weeks time, we'll have version one. The data is pristine for these three questions. Don't worry about it. And let's work together to prioritize what's question four, five, six, right? That we work with them to prioritize. It's so a wireframe is a really good way to do that as well. Right. Oh, thank you. Such a comprehensive answer. And I feel that you've already gave us some best tips there and best practices and re really appreciate it. I just want to take a few comments here from the audience. You've, first of all, kicked off a discussion about pie charts and their usage. So that's <laughs> always fun to watch on the sidelines. Dustin was mentioning that he loves the cards, by the way, and Ravita as well. Let me find his comment here. Thank you. But he's mentioning... Love, love your dashboard cards. I have the complete set with me, and he, you are a genius. And you know what? I'm, I've been holding, I've been holding all this time. I've been holding your charts cards in my hand, and I feel like I want to shuffle them because it, it is like the tactile feeling. It does feel like a game, and you know what? It brings excitement in me. I feel like okay, I want to get on the floor here and start creating a wireframe and dashboard. <laughs> I know it's funny what the tech, I often have the deck in my hands as well and just flicking them or shuffling them, like you're saying, they're just something to the tactical side of it. And George, I think one thing I'm really excited about is AI, like the yeah, even more tech, but this tactile thing's never going away. Like it was like that, it was like that experience I had when I first started Deloitte was I want to use all the technology. It was there. I wanted to use it, Yeah. but not everyone was willing to go on that journey with me. And, and just having something low tech. And this is something I ask myself as well is, what's the next thing? What is that? Are certain things going away? Let's say marketing, we can use AI to do a lot of that stuff. And it certainly extends your scope and what you're able to do as a small organization, let's say. But yeah, we've been asking ourselves, is, is the tactile thing going away? And it just doesn't seem to. I don't want to. I don't want to be back here in six months and say you know you're wrong. So who knows, right? Who knows? So maybe you're all in VR playing with virtual cards and stuff, <laughs> and it's still tactile in a sense, right? But it does seem to be a that sort of visceral interactive experience you have just with the physical environment seems to be a fundamental part of the human experience that's not going anywhere yet. Yeah, I agree, and having this as a workshop as a game with those stakeholders i feel they they're getting more involved they feel like they're now having a part of it and dan everett here that techno optimist is mentioning if you let them provide input they are more committed to the dashboard as well in the end that's a great point i, lo I love that point dan it's uh, if we look at sort of the change management world uh, which has been around for years 
and I knew last few years I started dipping my toes into that and go, wow, there's this like amazing amount of knowledge in change management. And what Dan was talking about there is it's just a key aspect of change management. If you are doing anything that's new, that's different. And what we're doing with analytics and BI, the promise is we're going to transform the organization. That's the promise. Like, right. why are we doing it otherwise? We're right. changing behavior. And if we're changing behavior, we're introducing change. If we're in a transformation, like we can talk about massive transformation that data and analytics can do to organizations. And if we're not bringing people on that journey, good luck. Good luck to you because it's not going to work. Massive increase in risk. I've been involved in too many analytics projects where change has not been a component of it. And you just see it. Like we've all seen it. Probably everyone here who's on the stream right now can look at probably a pile of dashboards and reports that exist within their organization with their clients' organizations that are just gathering dust. Yeah. And they may be very valuable, but because people weren't brought on a change journey, those things are just sitting there. And so Dan, like completely agree, you have to engage people and wireframing is a way to do that. Certainly not the only way we should be looking at many opportunities to engage people like through having interviews, doing workshops, putting out surveys, all mm -hmm. these opportunities to mm -hmm. engage brown bags, like training, just so many, right? And let's say you typed into ChatGPT right now, if you wanted to launch a product, what should you do for marketing? And it's going to come up with all these basically touch points that you can have with your end audience. And really, that's what we should be looking at in, in analytics and BI, especially with dashboards is we're putting a new product in front of people. How are we going to engage them and give them opportunity to be involved? Speaking of which, there's actually a few questions about ChatGPT and AI. And I'll take the first one from Kate. And she's wondering, what do you think the recent AI innovation is causing on the future of dashboards? And I think you've already addressed it, that the fact that we can now ask ChatGPT or whoever, any other LM, give me, give me some ideas or how would you represent this particular data point or this KPI or what is the best way of answering this question? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think it's a twofold answer. Firstly, what is it doing now? I think what it does now is it makes requirements gathering greatly accelerated. For example, I, I was working with a client recently and they were like, okay, Nick, we want you to come and do a workshop and gather all the requirements from all the stakeholders. And it, it's in a field I have no knowledge of, I have no subject matter expertise in. So we just worked together with ChatGPT and said, okay, what KPIs and metrics should we be looking at? I was like, great, really good at that, really good still needed to get people together and align them and to have consensus. So there's still that requirement. So where AI is now, really good to help facilitate requirements gathering. Where it goes in the future, I've always been an advocate of reducing the amount of interface that is needed between people and taking action using data. Right now, a dashboard is a useful interface to do that. I don't think it will be long-term. But I don't think the process around it goes away. So the interface might go away. Putting people's needs together with their data is going to stick around. But how we communicate that they need to take action is definitely going to change. So it's going to be more, it'll certainly be more AI driven. But what the human input will be is what are you trying to do? What's the goal of your organization? And what type of transformations are on the table? Here's the data. AI can go, yeah, let's look at that. And then basically send notifications or influence the decision-making within the organization. And if we look at what AI is doing to social media right now, so let's say you want to influence people's decision-making. 
it's many touch points the AI will be capable mm -hmm. of doing in the future. Many touch points, right? So in, let's look at it, my, my emails for people. Okay, well, if it can write emails, like seven emails over the course of two weeks when communicating with people, it could gradually influence the decision-making based off the available data. So it might necessarily be one notification. Hey, sales are down. You need to promote this product right now. Sure, it could do that. But LLMs have tremendous understanding of human psychology and human behavior and how to influence it. And so I would see it more being that way over time or just be gradual nudges, like little nudges, because big nudges tend to be much harder to do. So those little behavioral nudges, I see that's where it's going to end up. And the visual interface of a dashboard, sure, it's probably going to stick around, but I think we'd see people using that much less as AI is able to take over and influence behavior in our more traditional ways of how we like to communicate. Because I think most of us don't want to open a dashboard, right? It's not part of our typical workflow. It's a learned behavior that you can do, but we're used to getting text messages, we're used to getting emails. So I think it would have more of an influence on that side. Thank you. Thank you for answering that. And as Dan was pointing out too, it should always be people-centered, technology-enabled. So let's always remember the people. And of course, the your tactile dashboard wireframe kit is really helping with all of that. It really puts people first. So where can people get this? Amazon. It's on Amazon in the US. So we, we successfully funded it on Kickstarter. Thank you for everyone for doing that. Yeah, so Amazon US and soon within weeks, it's going to be available on Amazon everywhere. It's been a real exciting journey learning how to fulfill globally. And so that's a really big step for us is having it on Amazon now. So just search for dashboard wireframe kit. There's also the expansion packs for Power BI, Tableau, and the more oh, advanced yeah. chart types as well. So like the Power BI deck of cards, specific for Power BI visualizations, same for Tableau. And then there's the advanced charts as well. So they're all available on Amazon as well. Wow, oh, that's fantastic. All right, we'll make sure to include a link towards the US store in our show notes. So anybody that wants to get one, they can get it right away. Thank you so much, Nick, for being on the show and really shedding some light on how to create a dashboard wireframe and sharing those best practices with us. Thanks so much for having me on, George, and I love the show. I keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.